Good morning. It's good to see you guys. There are two types of families in the world. And there's families who tent camp and families who don't. Growing up, I was in a family who did not. Uh, We enjoyed traveling. We enjoyed being outside. But when it came time for sleeping, generally speaking, uh, a roof and a mattress uh, was a desired thing. Uh, However, I married a tent camper. And I'm sure our marriage in some ways has been a disappointment when it comes, uh, when it pertains to the camping part of our marriage. Um, But we've had some fantastic trips. Uh, We've gone to camp in Colorado. We've been to Devil's Den in Arkansas. Uh, We've gone to the Giant Sequoia National Forest in California. We've gone to some really cool places to camp. Um, However, I have firmly concluded uh, that my least favorite camping destination is my backyard. Amen? Amen. Uh, Camping in your backyard combines the worst parts of camping uh, with, and removes all of the best ones. The, re- the beauty of camping is, is the place. It's getting away from civilization. It's seeing beauty that you've never seen before. Uh, s- sleeping in a tent, that's fine, but that's not why you're there. Uh, it's not the highlight. Uh, camping in your backyard means I've already seen all this. I see it all the time. And worst of all, I am literally a 30-second walk from my mattress. What am I doing Uh, there's something in us that wants to be in there. We want to be home. Uh, Since the garden, this has been our condition. And as we have uh, walked through Hebrews 11, this morning we're gonna turn our attention to one of the most pivotal characters uh, in the Bible, Abraham. And as we see Abraham's faith and his journey to the home uh, that God promised him, uh, I want us to see four things. Number one, Humanity longs for home. Number two, the promise of home. Number three, the disappointment of home. And lastly, the better home. Let me pray as we continue. Father, would you give us ears to hear today? And would we not harden our hearts? And Father, would, would, we, uh, would, our, would our lives and our motivations, our desires, would they lay bare before you? And God, would you, by your spirit, would you, would you do a work? Would you stir in us love for Jesus and desire to follow after him? Would we, help, would we see your grace and would we understand your kindness to us as we look at the scriptures together today? And we ask all this in Christ's name, amen. Well, number one, a humanity longs for home. Uh, We're going to spend most of the time in Hebrews 11 today, but to, 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 I think, get into this story, we've got to set things up in Genesis. Uh, The story of Abraham really picks up in Genesis 12. Um, In fact, most scholars break Genesis down into two parts. There's Genesis 1 through 11, and then Genesis 12 to the end. Uh, And Abraham really is the pivot. It marks the shift in the whole book. And so to set the context of the story of Abraham, we, we need to talk briefly about what has come before. Some of this is we've been talking about as we've gone through this series in Hebrews 11. Um, ever since the fall, God's people, they always longed to be in his presence. But for sinful men and women, uh, the presence of God becomes a fearful thing. We saw this with Adam and Eve. They sinned, and then what? They, they hid from God. Of course, they, they couldn't really hide from God. 
so when God finds them, what, what, is, what, what happens? They cover their shame. They, they have fig leaves and God gives them better clothes uh, from an animal skin. But sin also means a broken world, that it's no longer gonna be easy to be in God's presence. There's no longer going to be peaceful dwelling. God and man together in paradise, a home together. Because of, because of sin, God removed Adam and Eve from the garden. Remember, he placed them squarely from the garden into the broken world. But even in the brokenness of the world, there is still a means to draw near to God. Abel, right? We saw Abel. He drew near to God through worship, through sacrifices. Um, but what did Cain do? Cain, in his sin, he didn't want to talk to God. He didn't want, he avoided the presence of God and he murdered his brother. And what was the punishment of Cain's sin? It was, it was that he'd be restless. He'd be a wanderer. He wouldn't be home. Not, not only away from God's presence, but he would have no home with God's people. No place of rest. Of, of peace, of that shalom, that Old Testament word for, for peace, of that knowing that everything is right uh, in the world. Uh, but really no one had that full, full peace, that full shalom. There, there was no way back to the garden, back to that perfect dwelling with God. In fact, sin became so rampant that what did we see last week with Noah? We saw the judgment came and the humanity was wiped off of the map. Uh, only Noah's family left to start again. And though the flood was this picture of God's judgment and his ultimate power to judge sin, the flood didn't eliminate sin. It didn't wipe sin off the map. No, sin remained in the hearts of Noah's family. It remained in the hearts of men. The world was still broken. Sin was still with us. And as the sons of Noah began to repopulate the earth, the longing for home never left. Men and women wanted to create a new paradise, a new place of belonging where humanity far and wide would never be expelled from the warmth and the peace of the home of, of being with family. It's, it's what they knew, that's, it's what we all want. That's what they wanted. And so we see the height of this in Genesis 11. The God's people, what they do? They made a tower. They made a tower, you've probably heard of it, the Tower of Babel. And, and they said, let's make a name for ourselves. So why, why? So that we won't be scattered throughout the earth. They wanted permanence. They wanted the hope of home, of perfect unity. But like the false hope of the tree, of, of life in the garden, God knew uh, that this would not satisfy them. And if they, if they band together, God said, whatever they set their minds together, nothing will be impossible for them. God knew the hearts of, of people. He knew that humanity would settle for false security, for a cheap imitation of home, that they would try to make a paradise of their own imagination. So in his mercy, what did he do? He scattered them, right? He tore apart their new city. He, he brought their tower down. He, he took their hollow effort at building a home and he scattered them throughout the earth. He gave them unique languages. He brought confusion and distance. Why? Because there is no true peace, true shalom, no unity worth having that will be found apart from dwelling with God. Earth, earth is, is, is a cheap imitation of, of, this, of that home. And so now it really doesn't feel like home. People speak different languages. They live in different places. And now we see in the story, humanity is multiplying, not together, but apart, not in harmony, uh, but in disorder. And oh yeah, we're seeing also that people's lifespans are dropping as we walk through 
here in Genesis 11. We're seeing people are living shorter and shorter lives, uh, less time to build a paradise here. Uh, the, the, the hope uh, for, for a paradise after the flood is evaporating. The first 11 chapters, I think, of Genesis are like this just beautiful creation and then a spiraling down, out of control, almost a dead end. It looks like humanity is, is just spiraling away. But wait, remember, there is the faithful family, right? We saw them earlier. The faithful family tree. It started with Adam's third son, Seth. His family, what did they do? They began to call on the name of the Lord. And his, his line continued through Enoch to Noah, through Noah's son, Shem, all the way to today's hero, Abraham. And so we've seen the wide angle shot uh, the, the, the Tower of Babel, this, this dead end that we're seeing in humanity. And so we zoom in at the end of Genesis 11 and we see this family again. And what is Abraham doing? Is he serving God? Is he working to push back the darkness? Joshua tells us and gives us a glimpse in Joshua chapter 24. Here's what Abraham was doing. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshiped other gods. Meet our protagonist, Abraham. And what is his family doing? They're worshiping idols. And oh yeah, his wife is barren. We also learned that in Genesis 11. This little, not only is the world spiraling into what seems to be disorder, but this family of faith, the little family tree of faith by all means, by all appearances, seems to be dying. So before we get into celebrating Father Abraham, you wanna know who the real hero of the story is? It's not Abraham, it's God. And then now here in chapter 12, with humanity scattered, with everyone alone, paradise, a distant memory, the line of faith dying out, what does God do? God saves a 70-year-old, idol-worshiping, married with no kids, man named Abram. And what does he say? He says, follow me. Go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house to a land I haven't even shown you yet and I will make you a great nation. I will make your name, your family great. Why? Because I am going to bless all of the peoples, all those people scattered throughout this broken world. I'm gonna bless them all through you. Man, Genesis 12, really, it's the turning point of redemptive history in this early point in the scriptures. Humanity longs for home and God says, follow me, I'm gonna take you there. Number two, we see the promise of home. Let's look now at Hebrews 11, back in our passage, starting at verse eight. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. So yes, God is the hero, uh, but, but Abraham is commended frequently in the scriptures, right? Uh, Abraham is, 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 it's said of him a lot. Genesis 15, again, even in the New Testament, Romans 4, says Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. And, and by the way, don't, don't get caught in the Abram versus Abraham thing. You may hear me say both of them this morning. Uh, there, he, he's gonna get a new name, a little lengthening of the name. Uh, so but we'll talk about that more next week. Uh, but, but Abraham or Abram, his example shows us that the, the, the call of God is a call to trust. 
And faith in God, it must lead to motion. It must lead to action, to obedience. Faith without walking in faith uh, is dead. So when Abraham was called, he went. He didn't gain consensus from the town. He didn't stay to wrap up all his dealings. He went. And amazingly, this was a call not just to go, but to receive. This was a promise. And the promise was a mystery to him. Abraham had never been to Canaan. How many of you ever sold your house with no idea where you're moving? Or maybe you left a job in faith not without knowing what was next. Conventional wisdom would say, Abraham, you're an idiot. What are you doing? You know you've got to have the next job nailed down before you leave the last one. You don't even give them your two weeks notice. You gotta, let them, you gotta, you gotta find the thing and then let them know. No, this is not what Abraham did. A little over 13 years ago, my, my second son was born. And it was while Amy and I were, were pregnant uh, that we were walking through what, to that point in our lives, was probably the hardest season of our lives. Uh, there had been some sinful decisions uh, by some leaders uh, in an organization we were part of, and we, we were left in a, a really bad spot. Um, stay and, 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 and somehow maybe we're complicit in what's going on, uh, but yet or quit, and we're, we have no assurance of a job, no, no source of income. Um, so with my seven-month pregnant wife, um, who's, who's closing in on her paid mater, unpaid maternity leave, uh, we decided to quit, and some others uh, as well, and, and we, we didn't know where we were going. Uh, we didn't know how God was gonna provide. We didn't know how it was all gonna work out. And in the middle of it, we're just in the middle of the season, not, kinda not, not knowing what's coming, uh, Amy calls me on the phone and she just goes, hey, I know what we're gonna name our son. I'm like, and this is, if you know my wife, this is not, this is, she's, she's in the moment. Like we're, this, she, she, she follows these things. She's like, I know, I know what it is. Canaan, we're gonna name him Canaan because we don't know where we're going. I'm like, perfect. So our son's name is Canaan. Um, and uh, two months later, this was the beginnings of Redeemer. This is how, this was the church beginning. Um, we, were, we were trusting God, not knowing where he would lead, uh, but following. Now, now, I'm not saying that anyone needs, any of you need to go quit your job tomorrow. Um, sometimes, sometimes uh, we blame God for our really dumb decisions. Uh, so, so don't do that. Uh, God certainly hasn't appeared, uh, I don't believe, to you to tell you to do that. I, uh, it, for us, it was, that, was a, that was a decision that was made after seeking counsel and, uh, and praying and asking the Lord for wisdom. But faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. There's going to be times that to honor God, to pursue the, the, the good thing that you believe the Spirit is calling you to, that others have affirmed in you, that you'll make decisions to heed God's call that will make little sense to the people who are watching. And so God said to Abraham, go to the land, I'll show you. And he went. Martin Luther said this about Abraham. He said, this is the glory of faith, simply not to know not to know where you are going, what you are doing, what you must suffer, just to follow the naked voice of God. And so I'll ask, how is God calling you to obey? To follow him, to maybe leave something easy in order to follow him into the hard place for his glory. 
And you know what else is crazy here? Abraham's faith is great, but the power and the kindness of God is, is incredible here. A- Abraham wasn't, I mean, this wasn't the most impressive sight. You've got Abram, his barren wife, Sarah, his dad, and his dead brother's son, Lot. Um, but God chooses whom he will choose. And aren't you grateful for that? He did not call you because you brought so many skills or so much, such a great resume to the table. No, he called you so that your, by your faithful obedience, you might be a trophy of his grace and his kindness. And to an undeserving people who had never known the peace of, dwell, of a dwelling place with God, God uh, says to them, I'm gonna give you a land. And your children, they're gonna be a nation. Abraham's looking around going, what children are you talking about? Um, and again, that, that next week, we're going we're gonna to hit the second half of Abraham next week. Abraham heard the promise and he obeyed. He didn't have the cloud of witnesses that we're reading through in Hebrews 11. He didn't get them as an example, except for the, the ones in his family that had been that had come before. Uh, he didn't have the, the prophets. He didn't have the scriptures. He only had God's promise. And, and God says to him, let's go. And Ab- Abram goes, I'm in. And so they go. Number three, the disappointment of home. Look at verse nine. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So the, the minute Abe showed up in the land of Canaan, what did he find? There were already people there. The Canaanites were already in the land. How is this gonna work, God? You're giving me somebody else's land. He's a a foreigner. His own inheritance, not his. His own land, already claimed. After all this traveling, all this leaving home by faith, and now the land is occupied, his wife is barren. Who would he even have to share it with anyway? He's a visitor there. He's a guest, a stranger in the very place he had hoped would be home. So what did he do when he arrived? Did he turn back and go, man, God, what is, what's going on? We're just gonna go back home. Let us know when you figured this out, God, and we'll be there. No, he worshiped the Lord. They made an altar and they worshiped at Shechem. And then again in the hill country near Bethel. And after worshiping God from campsite to campsite, they settled in this place called the Negev. And, and of course, what happened when they settled? Famine. What did you invite us into, God? Has to be the question. In the famous words of Lloyd Christmas, we got no food, we got no jobs, our pets' heads are falling off. That's only for a few of you. I'm sorry if nobody gets that. Uh, How is this the land of promise? The famine forces Abraham and his his family to go where? They got to go further south. They got to keep going down into Egypt. And if you know the story, it doesn't, it's not a great trip Uh, In some ways, Abraham schemes with his wife to to lie and to say that she's his sister so that the Pharaoh doesn't kill Abram to take his wife. That's not a great husband move. I don't suggest it. Honey, uh, the Pharaoh is gonna take you into his harem either way. So here's my plan. Let's lie about it so I don't die. Um, Yeah, that's not not a high point for Abraham. Basically, at this point, it's all disappointing. Uh, The land is a disappointment and so is Abraham. And yet, what did God do? Despite Abraham, God protects Sarah. He intervenes with the Pharaoh. God provides them food in Egypt. 
And God uses the Pharaoh to stock Abraham's family with riches and livestock so that when they leave Egypt, they're able to go back into Canaan. What grace from God. Over and over, God teaches Abraham this lesson. The blessings that you receive come not because of you, but because of me. Not because of your faithfulness, but because I am faithful. And so they come back into the land and we're going, okay, all right, now it's happening. Now he's got supplies. He learned some character lessons he needed to learn. Um, Now they're gonna go in, they're gonna take it. No. Verse nine, remember, by faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. So by faith, he lived in tents. And yet by faith, he stayed in tents. As did his son, Isaac. As did his grandson, Jacob. Generations of tent living. What a letdown. I will make you a nation. I'll give you a land. I'll make you great and bless the earth. And all they get is tent living. At least back in Ur, the Chaldeans, we were talking about this after the first service. I mean, Ur, Ur was, was a developed city. It was a place to live. It was a place to be. Technology there. Abraham had a home. But now in the land of promise, every day he wakes up on a dirt floor in the tent. He cooks over a cobbled together fire. He feeds his livestock on fields that don't even belong to him. No assurance of border or protection. He's a squatter, a freeloader in someone else's land. And this is the life of faith. The life of faith is full of disappointment. There will be pain and heartache. This is what, what I, th- I think sets apart Christianity from morality and humanism. Morality says do good and get good. Be good enough and prosperity and comfort, they're, they're just on the other side of the hill. They're coming for you. Oh, but faith in God means, means faith. It means to trust in a future blessing, an unseen hope. Faith makes nomad life possible. When life disappoints, faith remembers for us and faith points back to and trusts that the sufferings of this present time don't compare to the glory that's to be revealed to us in Christ. There's something better than tent life coming. So this is the twist that Abraham's story takes in verse 13. But how would we write the screenplay of this? Very differently, I think. I think we would write it this way. I think Abraham would walk into town, a young man, right? He'd come into the promised land. Maybe a little, maybe a little assure, sure of himself, expecting this inheritance, trusting the promise, but all would not be what it seems, right? He, there's strife, conflict, barrenness, desperation. Uh, but the climax is coming, right? That's act two. This is how we would write it up. Uh, all seems lost, but by faith, after he's learned the lessons he needs to learn, uh, the foes are vanquished. The enemies are defeated. And then the older, wiser Abraham he takes control of the land, right? And he, has, he you know, settles back on his property with his kids and they're, they're building God's kingdom in Canaan. But we didn't write this play. Uh, here's the climax for Abraham. Verse 13. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. These meaning Abraham and all his family, they died. 
No, they hadn't received the promise. So who's, who's writing the story? This is not how we would write it. What an anti-climax. I mean, God had given Abraham dimensions of the land. He had told him it's gonna be from the Euphrates down to the river Egypt. And then he gets there and he sees it. He lives in a tent and dies. But how did he die? Look at the verse again. How did Abraham's family die? These all died, how? In faith. The promise never happened in this life. They were never home, always temporary, nothing lasting, but their hope was sure. When their life on earth ended, faith and the promise remained. They, they knew their inheritance was coming still. What thing are you longing for? And I'm not talking about you know, winning the lottery or buying a Tesla, that'd be fun. Um, but what, what good godly gifts are you hoping for on this earth? Maybe, maybe you're a kid, you're a student maybe, and you're, and you're going, man, it's just that driver's license. That's what I'm waiting for. That scholarship, that dream career, something fulfilling. Maybe it's the gift of finding the right guy or the right girl. Maybe it's marriage, the gift of companionship and intimacy. Maybe it's having a baby, raising kids, showing them how to live. Maybe it's that deep longing for your son or your daughter to know Jesus Maybe you're clinging to the promise of the scriptures that the gospel that you imparted when they were young will bring them back from their prodigal life. Or maybe, maybe it's retirement. You're longing for that day when you'll finally get some rest. When you'll finally get just to love on the grandbabies, when the kids can finally afford their own life, when you'll finally have time for a hobby or to start that ministry, when maybe you'll finally be able to go amongst the unreached and share the gospel of Jesus. What, what good thing, what God thing do you want? Do you long for? What, what promised land? Maybe, maybe it's so close, you can see it, you can taste it. Would God be good to you if it never happened? If you never experienced it? Abraham, his family, they, they could taste it. They could see it. It was right there but they never, they never got it. They died, Hebrews says, though they hadn't received what they were promised. It, it's okay to desire blessings from God, particularly those things which he loves to give to his people. But the only way to live by faith is to die in faith. The only way to truly live by faith is to be ready to die in faith. What did Abraham's death of faith look like? Look at the end of verse 13. But they saw them, they, they saw these promises from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. To die in faith is to say, I, I knew this life could never live up to the hype. This kind of faith says, I, I, I love my life here. And yes, to live is Christ. But as much as I want this, this life, the here and now to fulfill every longing I have, it can't, it won't. C.S. Lewis in, in this famous expert uh, from his book, uh, Mere Christianity, says it this way. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, 
The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that other country and help others to do the same. Man, that's good. At times, you're going to get right on the precipice, like right on the, right on the cusp. In this life, you're, you're gonna see your dreams, like they're just gonna be right there, right, right in front of you. Things you've wanted, your hopes, they're gonna feel, it's gonna feel like right in your grasp. There's going to be times in your life where joy, like real joy, doesn't feel that elusive. It's like, it's here, I, I can feel it. it I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get it. But the Christian knows better. The Christian can, can smile knowingly at those moments, at today's joys. And like Abraham, you, you can see the blessings of this life for what they really are. We sang it this morning, not, not man's acclaim, not comfort gained, not house or home or sweetest frame, but my hope is in my redeemer. Abraham saw the promised land from a distance. He greeted the promises, he rejoiced and he praised God, but his rejoicing led him to remembering, to a conviction, to, to, a, con, to a confession is what Hebrews says. His confession was this, that, that I'm a stranger here. I'm a temporary resident. This is, no, this is no lasting city for me. Abraham's faith, despite disappointment, teaches us there, there is only one promise, only one inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, never fade, never be beyond our grasp. And so lastly, number four, the better home. So are there blessings to be found in this life? Absolutely. Did God eventually bring his people into the land? Yes. Uh, did they ever fully inherit it? I, 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 don't, I don't think so. The scriptures describe the land and they never inherited or never occupied all of what the Bible describes. But what we find out here is that what Abram, Abram really wanted, what Abraham really desired and, and longed for was this in verse 16. It says they, this is his Abraham, Abraham and his, his family. They now desire a better place, a heavenly home. And for, for you, if you're a Christian here today, if you're a believer, this is your inheritance. Not that, you'll, not that you're gonna dwell in the land of Canaan, no, instead, 2 Peter 3 says, based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. You get to dwell there. You get to dwell in that new heaven, that new earth. Jesus says it. He says, I'm making all things new. God's righteousness will dwell with men again. We won't be wanderers on the earth forever. We won't be scattered to the far country, experiencing the hit and the miss of, of, of trying to rest here and now, even here, even, even in the spiritual house of God, right? The, the spiritual people, the house, spiritual house he's building from men and women who, who love him. This, the church, this is our, I, I believe our best approximation of the dwelling of God, the presence of God, God with his people. But because of sin, because of our own brokenness, even this family of faith will never fully satisfy and so when the, this life of faith disappoints us, the temptation 
for us is the same as it was for Abraham. We see it in verse 15. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had opportunity to return. If you're a Christian like Abraham, you heard the call to follow Jesus. If you haven't, I wanna invite you. He will forgive you. Come to him. Turn to the Lord. He'll receive you. Jesus will. He died on the cross that you might be forgiven. But if you're a believer, the good news became real to you and you turned from your former life. Jesus forgave you. You, you, you follow him now. You left what you knew so that you could go with him. And, but we'll, just like Abraham, we're gonna have the opportunity to look back, to romanticize what we left behind, to, to forget our upward call in Christ Jesus. And I think this is one of the main reasons that we get together all the time, why we gather regularly, why we meet uh, in smaller groups, why we, why we have Bible studies, why we need to be with one another to worship the Lord, why we take the Lord's Supper every week. It's so that we would remember what is true, that we would remember that this country is not it. This home, this land, this life, no, we've got a better country, a heavenly home purchased for us by the shed blood and the empty tomb of Jesus. I want to mention quickly four things that I, that I believe will mark our lives if we actually trust in that better country. Number one, if we long for that heavenly home, it will be easier to say no to sinful comfort and pleasure here. Number two, if we will be more willing to say yes to suffering and pain and mission. Number three, we will be less crushed by disappointment and less obsessed with making it in this life. And lastly, we will be more generous with our time and our resources so that others might treasure Jesus too. So that they might seek that far country as well, that better home. If we seek to make this world, this life, our home, we will crush it underneath the weight of our expectations. This world, it was not made to bear the weight of all of your hopes. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, these are good things. But as Christians, we must know ultimate life, ultimate freedom, ultimate joy, these will not be achieved here. Instead, what, is, what does the scripture say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you. Don't wait until the end of your life to look around and go, you know what? This world is not my home. Don't wait. Realize it now. Look, believe it now. It will change how you live. Look forward now to what is ahead. This week, when, I wanna challenge you, when you, experiencing, when you experience something good this week, enjoy it, really enjoy it. But then preach to yourself. Self, remember, this is tent living. I'm camped out here. Or, or if you experience pain and disappointment this week, remind yourself, preach to yourself, there's a better home coming. It's coming. This is why the Bible speaks so much of the future. It can be confusing sometimes, and I think we avoid books, uh, some of the prophets like Ezekiel and books like Revelation. Uh, but the Lord says, it, it, the promises are there. There's a new heaven, a new earth, a new city for the people of God. And on this earth, where humanity is scattered and confused, separated, 
In that new earth, we will dwell in unity. Every tribe, nation, language, every tongue, all of our languages will be there and they won't be confusing. And we will dwell beneath the banner of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the worthy lamb of God who forgave our sins and who led us like a shepherd through the wilderness, through the wilderness of earth, all the way to home. So don't turn back, don't give up. Strain forward to what lies ahead. Twas grace that brought us safe thus far and grace will lead us home. He will be with us. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you. We thank you so much that you have placed us here not to find ultimate fulfillment, but that you have promised a home for us and that even now you have not been far from us, that your spirit is in us, that Christ Jesus is, it's, it's no longer we who live, but he is who is living in us. And what the reality that this world cannot satisfy us, Father, would that drive us to Jesus? Will that drive us to the promises that you've given us, the inheritance that awaits for us, the love of a father that is ours because of your mercy? Would these realities give life to us today? So we love you. We ask that you would, you would satisfy us today. We pray this in Christ's name.